Lori, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. For anyone who may not be familiar with TCEA and your work, just give us a little bit of background on yourself and the organization that you work with. Happy to do that. Uh, my name is Lori Gracie, and I'm the executive director of TCEA, the Texas Computer Education Association. I'm a former English and technology teacher, and I also worked as a chief technology officer and Kate director in a school district uh, for 28 years. Uh, and then retired from education to come and serve as the executive director of TCEA for the past nine years. Uh, TCEA is a member-based association uh, that works to help innovate teaching and learning through the use of technology. Uh, we've been around since 1980, and we have more than 17,000 members scattered all around the world. Although we have the name Texas in our title, uh, our members do not come just from Texas. They're really anybody who's interested in how best to implement technology so students and adults can learn. Yeah, that's amazing. I know I've seen it personally. I've got members of my family that were in TCEA. Um, and, and so seeing the reach of TCEA is just incredible. I mean, 17,000 members, a staff of well, over 20 people now. I mean, it's an incredible organization. Thank you. Yes, we have really grown um, over the years and, and, and now offer so much more than we did even just a few years ago. That's fantastic. Well, we will be reaching back um, at the end of this podcast and talking a little bit about the upcoming conference. But over these last couple decades of being in the school business, specifically with a focus on technology, how have you seen teaching change um, specifically as it relates to technology in the classroom? Well, you know, when I started teaching a thousand years ago, um, the technology we had in the classroom was an overhead projector, and we were really excited about that. Um, but it, it didn't change teaching. It was still me, the teacher at the front of the room, uh, dropping pearls of wisdom and hoping that my students would grab onto them and, and do something mm. with them at some point. I think the biggest change that the technology has given to us is the freedom to not use that model anymore, to say, yes, I am a content expert, but we all have bits and pieces of knowledge together. Um, we all are learning, and we all can grow. And so at this point, students, you need to step up and decide how are you going to contribute to our shared body of knowledge. So I think that is what technology has done more than anything else, is broken apart that, and I hate to quote something that everybody else says, but that, you know, that sage on the stage, that person pontificating mm -hmm. at the front of the room, and let it be more about what individual students know and what individual students need to learn. And I think that is the, the biggest shift that we've seen from the use of technology. Interesting. So you've really seen a, a shift in the model itself of, of how the information is being distributed to the students. Most definitely. And, and I even saw this recently. My son is a second year teacher. He's a band director and teaches K through 12 music and band classes. And so we were talking about his doing lesson plans. And so I got out some of my old lesson plans and they were very detailed and they were about what I was doing. I would say this and I would give them this worksheet and I would assign this homework. And it was really all about me, the teacher. Uh, when he started working on his lesson plans, it was much more about what the students would be doing and how they would be showcasing what they were learning. And I think that is just at its most simplistic the change that technology allowed that to happen. Wow, so interesting to to kind of bring it full picture and then where technology is going. Um, Lori, there's so much new technology out there 
but is there anything that you see over the next couple of years that you're just particularly excited about how it's going to impact the classroom? Um, there's a couple things. One is artificial intelligence. Um, mm. From something as simple as uh, the Google Home or the Amazon um, Echo, I mm. mean, very, very simple devices like that. I think down the road, they're going to be even more powerful. I don't think artificial intelligence is going away. And I think we're going to see it really impacting uh, what can happen in the classroom. I, I think the frustration that's going to come with that, unfortunately, is that a lot of our standards and our existing curriculum are still set up to be, for lack of a better term, old school, um, so that, for example, when our students in Texas are learning about the Battle of the Alamo, um, they need to obviously know the big picture, why the Battle of the Alamo was important in Texas history, why it's important still today, but they also still have to memorize the date it happened. Um, they have to memorize who was in charge, who were the casualties. They have to memorize who was the, the general from the Mexican army. They have to memorize all of those facts that, quite frankly, uh, artificial intelligence could give them as a moment's request. Yeah. So I think I'm starting to see a lot more frustration from teachers about we have this advanced technology. It's available to us. We use it in all other aspects of our life. But when we bring people into our classrooms, we have to assume that they can't ever use that again and we're going to make them go back to the old way of learning. So I think that's a huge dichotomy of what's available and what people want to use and how our current system is structured to unfortunately not allow that. And that's going to have to be changed at the, at the legislative level, quite frankly, so that our standards catch up more with what we need to know and what we can rely on artificial intelligence to tell us. Yeah, so it sounds like you're seeing a... Um a difference or a gap between the information and technology that exists in the world and the information that we're asking students to learn and memorize and how easily accessible both of those are. Exactly. Um, the, the whole debate about uh, math and, and how much math do kids need to know, and I'm not taking a side one way or the other, but, you know, golly, Google can do any math problem I can put in there. And, and so <laughs> I do need to understand it. I do need to check it. But when I think about we still have math teachers sending home 50 math problems a night for homework, that may right. be a little crazy, you know. So I think yeah. it's a huge, huge uh, roadblock that, that gets bigger and bigger every day that eventually we're going to have to surpass and really talk about we have this artificial intelligence, and it's going to keep becoming more amazing. How can we use that to support children in their learning and not prevent their learning? Yeah, that's going to be super interesting because I remember, you know, when I was in school, you had to go buy the TI-83 calculator, I think it was. And now my cell phone does more than that calculator. Um, exactly. You know, so everybody's got that sort of power in their pocket. So whenever we're seeing the shift in information, there's also a shift in, in the environment or the, if you want to call it the fake environment of virtual reality, uh, immersive learning, things like that. What, what are your thoughts on virtual reality and how that's going to impact the classroom? Well, that's the other technology that I am, I am most excited about in Is the next it? few okay. years. Um, yeah, it's a so great segue. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's not quite I think that is a technology that is going to really, really help to further change what we're doing in the classroom. Um, you know, we have so many children who don't ever get to go anywhere else. You know, yeah. they're, they're locked in for whatever reasons, and, and virtual reality allows them to experience all the things they can't in the real world. Um, the really exciting thing about it are the VR creation tools that are just now starting to come out that allow the students not to just 
um, take in someone else's views of the world or the solar system or the ocean or whatever that is, but to create their own views of that and share them with others, um, mm -hmm. which is really what we're talking about when we talk about learning is, is that creative side of let me take what I've learned about the solar system and show you my view of it and what it can look like. And virtual reality lets you do that. And um, the costs are not really that high. They're coming down really, really quickly. I mean, you can do a lot of things with your cell phone now and, and mm -hmm. some fairly cheap goggles and a free app, you know, and it, that's just going to continue to grow. So I think virtual reality is just going to be huge. That's, that's the next big wave, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be so exciting. Uh, I remember going on, you know, one field trip a year, and there were students who were never engaged in the classroom that were incredibly engaged when we would go to NASA or a space museum or a natural history museum. And I'm like, with technology like this, field trips can become a weekly or even daily occurrence for students to go visit the Great Wall of China or swim in the Great Barrier Reef. I mean, um, the whole world became very, very flat and very, very small. I agree. In fact, I watched a video the other day from a librarian in Minnesota at a high school, and she had bought some VR headsets for her students, uh, fairly inexpensive ones, and just kind of left them out with some programs in them already. And then she interviewed the kids afterwards. You know, she didn't do any formal teaching with them or anything. She just said, what'd you do? What'd you see? What'd you learn? And the kids were blown away. Uh, one of them was on the invasion of um, the Normandy Beach. One of them was... Mm -hmm. uh, a flight uh, up to see, you know, as you lift the atmosphere. And, and the students were, were drawing all sorts of conclusions and then saying, well, I want to learn more about this. I didn't know much about this. Uh, one of the wow. young men said, you know, my, my great-grandfather, I think, was at Normandy. I'm going to go home and see what my mom can tell me. And, and so I think that, that sparks that interest in the learning that, that can really continue and grow and expand. I think that's what that technology enables. That, that's going to be so exciting. I feel like virtual reality also has the potential to be one of the first technologies that schools implement before they're really implemented in the home. Um, mm -hmm. And so students are seeing this for the first time. and They're like, oh, my gosh, what is this? I've not seen this before. And it takes that technology to a level they haven't seen. And it's kind of hard to impress kids with technology these days. Yes, but I think VR really does. Yeah, it really does. The couple times I've seen it, it has absolutely been a fantastic experience. Um, so kind of continuing on with that same conversation, there is a huge movement behind the maker culture, the, you know, do it yourself, put it together, robot type of culture in schools. What are your thoughts on the future of, of maker culture and how that's going to really impact education or the classroom? That's a great question. I'm so excited about the maker movement that we're seeing now, because I think it brings us back to where we need to be. You know, we, the pendulum swings in education, and for a while we were, uh, everything should be about the mind, and everybody's going to go to college, and it's kind of abstract knowledge. And now we're swimming more back toward the side that says, yes, but there's also those things that we just need to physically touch, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to physically do in the creative process. Um, and I think that's very, very powerful for kids. Um, I think I think we're in the initial stages, and so everybody's getting excited about the stuff. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a 3D printer. Or I'm right. gonna have uh, green screen technologies. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna put some beads together, and you know, all right. of those things. And those are all good and fine. But I think eventually we're gonna get past that to where we're just talking about the culture of making, and and how that is in every class, whether you have a 3D printer or not. It is the idea that we can create new and better things 
Yeah. Um, whether we're doing that with a, a computer or we're doing that in virtual reality or we're doing that with uh, using cardboard, you know, that we've recycled. Um, it isn't about uh, the making. It's about the or the, the finished product. It's about the creative process we're going through and then share, sure. showcasing that, sharing that with everyone else. And I think that has tremendous p- potential to help get us focused back in on what school should be. Not to mention that it's just fun. We do we do a lot of paper grading here with people and they'll come in, yeah. you know, and they're not sure what they want to do. And then they sit down and they're like, I just made this and I just made this, but this didn't work and I'm frustrated. And then we talk about, well, what does that mean? And what do you do next? Right. What does that mean for your kids? And they, they see that, oh, this has huge implications for the classroom. Yeah, that's just going to be so exciting. I just finished a book on Michelangelo the other day and his creative process and the just sheer genius of how he made and created. And I thought I didn't get to experience a lot of that tactile creativity as a student. But with all of the technology that's coming out, it seems to be pointed in that direction. And I think it's just going to unleash a barrage of creativity and new ideas and learning for students. Yeah, I think it's, it, we'll all agree that it's much better than sitting down and doing a paper worksheet. You know, yes. it, it, it engages the brain as well as the hands much more, which is what we want. Mm-hmm. Ah, so exciting. So exciting. So we have talked about quite a bit of, of new technology, things that are kind of coming down the pipeline. All of this costs money. And, and so something that we hear a lot of now is this idea of uh, digital equity. Or, or making sure that everybody has access, kind of a equity of access to this technology. What does it look like for schools and the country to make sure that this is that these tools and this this technology is available on a, on a very wide scale? What 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 do you see in that arena? Well, when I've been meeting with school boards and superintendents on this issue, they they immediately want to go straight to. Well, we have to buy more technology. We have to buy more stuff. And while I'm certainly not against buying more stuff, I think it, it you have to you have to do something before that. Okay. I think you have to first make sure that your staff understands what are the possibilities for learning with technology in general. Um, I'm constantly, unfortunately, finding educators who have not been exposed to okay VR or or maker the maker concept or um, just <laughs> basic technology things that can make a difference for kids. They mm. don't know what's possible. They don't have the time to sit and play, and, and play is an important part of learning what is possible. And instead, we give them quick, okay, here's a quick hour after school. We're going to do this on, you know, how to do Maker. Okay, great, now go do Maker. Well, no, you need a little more time than that. So I think the first thing we're going to have to do to get to digital equity is ensure that our teachers have time to see the possibilities. Now, I don't, I'm not talking about every teacher being an expert, and, and that's, I right. think, the second piece, because when you bring technology in, it's often easy for us to say, well, teacher, you need to know how to use everything about this technology, and, and so we're going to have lots of hands-on training on how to do the technology, and I think we're definitely way past that now. I, I think what we have to do is tell our educators, um, we hired you to be the expert in two things. You are supposed to be the expert in your content area. And you are supposed to be the expert in brain-based, good, sound pedagogy. We didn't hire you to be the technology expert. We have people for that. So if you're in the classroom and you're working with any technology, whether it's a one-to-one program or a BYOD program or just a 3D printer, whatever it is, and you don't know how to make it do something, that's okay. 
And I think that is an empowering thought, that, that you don't have to know everything about the technology, that if your students ask you a question about the tech and you can't answer it, it is okay to say, I don't know. It is not okay to say, I don't care, or we're not going to use it anymore. But you can say, I don't know how that works. Uh, why don't you try asking another student? Have you tried Googling it? I bet there's a YouTube video about it. Um, <laughs> I think that lets teachers do their main job, which is the content and the pedagogy, sure. and lets them know that the technology is not to be feared. So I think those two pieces have to be in place first. And then, to be honest, I think we have to embrace the BYOD model, um, the okay. bring-your-own-device model. Um, I know lots of districts that are doing amazing things with one-to-one -one programs, uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're fabulous, and I think that's great. But when you start looking long-term, the question is, how many years can you sustain that one-to-one -one model? Um, can you do it through one refresh cycle, two refresh cycles, three? Um, eventually, for most school districts in our current funding situation, it just becomes too expensive, unfortunately. Right. Plus, it's, it's not really logical. If, if my children already have devices, that they are familiar with and know how to use. But I tell them as soon as they get into the schoolroom that they have to put them up and use a different device instead. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, monetarily, from a teaching standpoint, or even from the student standpoint, I think what we have to say is, if you've got a great device and it can do these things very minimally, bring it. We're going to have to work out some issues here. We're going to have to work out about the infrastructure and uh, network access and safety and and how do you teach in a room where every kid may have something different? We're going to have to work right. that out. And then for those kids who don't have a device that will do what it needs to, that's where we spend our money. That's what we purchase. And that is a much more sustainable way and a better way to ensure digital equity because at the end of the day, then everybody takes what they have home. Now, it doesn't address the issue, excuse me, of broadband access at everyone's home. And I think that's where some other organizations like um, the, the Superhighway um, and some others are working on trying to figure out how we can provide that. I'm going to leave that to smarter people than me because that problem has to be solved too. Sure. But I think we've seen if we give kids a device and there are places, if not at home, at least near them, they will go to where the uh, wireless is, quite frankly, and get on and do what they need to do. So I think that's kind of my different view on digital equity. Wow. I mean, when you talk about really taking a very big issue and then coming at it with, with, an, with a perspective that I don't think I've heard before, at least when I talk to school districts, what I've been hearing is, um, hey, you know what? I need to get in a little bit better shape. I'm going to spend money. and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to buy all this equipment. I'm going to buy a new Fitbit. I'm going to do all these things. But I already had a gym membership and I've already got running shoes and I already have weights in the corner. I'm just not using them. Schools have a lot of things already there that maybe they're just not taking full advantage of or the teachers haven't been trained in or given the correct time to really test out and see how they can implement it. You make an excellent comparison there. I think, I think we really have to think before we just go throw more money at stuff. And again, I'm not against buying things. I'm, I'm a sure. big believer in buying things. But I think we have to think about what we're doing and how that's going to be implemented. If, if, you do an, if you really are providing digital equity, quite frankly, your biggest need is not going to be so much the technology, but it's going to be more wireless connectivity in your mm -hmm. district. Mm -hmm. to ramp up the broadband, seriously, if all the kids are online and they're all doing amazing creative things. So that's where the districts probably are going to need to also be thinking about spending their money is, is really updating their broadband so it can support all of those innovative programs. Wow, that's amazing.
So, so much, so much good stuff there in that last little block. Uh, people are going to want to <laughs> sit down and listen to that one again. Um, so we've got TCEA coming up. It is not far away. Tell us this conference. Tell us what's, what's going to be about it, why people should attend. Well, we do a big uh, meeting with um, about 15,000 of our closest friends uh, every year uh, in February. It's the first full week in, week in February, February 5th through 9th, and it will be in Austin, Texas this year. Um, and I'm really excited about the theme this year. It is Innovate Learning, Transform the Future. And, and I think that is, that is TCA in a nutshell. And that is what educators want to do is they want to change how we're helping kids learn and change the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's everything that this conference is going to be about. Um, it, has, it is five full days of conference, which is huge. Um, we have academies, which are hands-on, in-depth, um, day or two-day devoted time for teachers to really emphasize a particular thing. We have, for example, we have a, an ESL academy. We have a math and science academy. We have a librarian media specialist academy. So we've had those in the past. And those are really about, I've really got to focus in on something and find out exactly what I need to be doing. Um, Those are very powerful. But we've added a couple of new ones this year that I think are going to be very well attended. One is called an Innovative Teaching Academy, and that is designed for classroom teachers and those who coach classroom teachers. And it is about what are the strategies I need to use with the technology to really change teaching and learning. Um, because it's not just about the technology, as you know, just giving teachers technology doesn't right. change anything. Okay, so this is about what are the new strategies, what are the new methodologies, what are the new pedagogies you should be practicing in your room that will make it easier for your students to use the technology for learning. The other new one we have is the Transformational Learning Academy, and that is designed for district or campus leaders. How do you create the culture that will let your educators embrace digital learning, okay? And that's going to be based on the best practices and the research that says, how do you get people to change? And I think that's going to be really, really powerful. Um, Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I I think it's going to be really good, and that one is actually a two-day, so you have plenty of time. The other thing we've done differently this year with our academies is, in the past, you had to just go to one academy per day. So if you, you wanted to go to the Google stuff, you know, you would go on Google all day long, but you couldn't go to the iPad, which also had sessions going on at the same time. Now with our academies, we've made them so that they're open. So you can go to a Google session on differentiation and then next hour hop over to one on blended learning in the Transformational Academy. Um, so it allows our, our attendees to be much more flexible and to really focus in on what they're trying to learn. I think the other thing we're excited about this year is we're offering something called Solution Circles. Um, Sometimes you're not there to learn something new. You just want to get a problem solved. Sure. Um, and so these are uh, set meeting times with set topics where there is no presentation. There is a facilitator uh, who will help the people in the room define what problem they're trying to solve and work through what solution would work for them. That is uh, we so have cool. Them on- I'm sorry? So that is so cool. It's such an innovative way to help people come together and really listening to your attendees and just giving them what they need. Yeah, and that's what they're asking for. Sometimes I don't need another Google tool, although those are all great. Sometimes I just need to sit down and hear, how are you doing this? 
this is what my students are doing. How did you deal with that? And, and this is the time to do that. So we have a whole bunch of different topics set up that we got from our members about what they wanted to know about digital badging, um, redesigning learning spaces, um, Google administration, how do you teach early learners, um, any of those. And we're going to have these solution circles on those topics where you come and sit down and work with your peers to come up with really great solutions. So I'm excited about that. Um, TCA is the largest state educational technology conference in the United States. We offer something for everyone. Uh, we, whether you're a librarian or a superintendent or a pre-K teacher or the network manager or the CTO or the high school um, K teacher, we offer either beginner or advanced sessions that are going to let you grow and change your classroom to be more what you want it to be. Wow, that, that is just, that's amazing. And I have had family members and friends attend TCEA, and I will tell you, they always came back so fired up. <laughs> they would stay up all night in the hotel room, jotting down notes, coming up with all these different things. They would come back with binders and binders full of material. Uh, and it was always one of those events that just over um, overperformed past even uh, what people expect, and they have very high expectations because it's consistently such an exceptional event. That is so kind of you to say. I, I do say that everyone who comes walks away with way more information, quite frankly, than they can use, and we hear that from them afterwards. Sure. Because, you know, oh, sure. my, my brain is tired. Yeah. Um, but they also walk away with a lot of ideas about how to make things better in the classroom, and then we provide, when you come to the convention, you get a free one-year membership in TCEA which allows you to continue the learning. You know, we, we, we have uh, more than 80 hours of free on-demand webinars that we provide. So if you, you, you really were interested in Google at the convention, but you need more help, we have webinars that you can access anytime for that. And you get those included because you come to the conference, which is really powerful, I think. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. So here's, here's the really, really, really important question about TCEA. When I visit Austin, I'm gonna be there for five days, where do I go to eat, Lori? Tell me. Give me the behind-the-scenes oh, scoop. Where do oh. I go? Well, you're going to be on uh, near 6th Street, okay, which okay. everyone should experience, okay? There are tons right. of great restaurants and shows. It's not just about bars, but there are bars and live music. So there are tons of things to go there. Uh, we actually will have information booths with lists of recommended restaurants, depending on what kind of food you're looking for in the area. Austin has really good food. We have really good music. Uh, the weather in February is usually not bad, especially if you're coming from the north. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we might be in the, maybe in the 50s or the 60s. Um, so that's a great time to be in Austin. Uh, and there are a lot of good shows going on at that same time. Again, the music venues are just absolutely amazing. Our vendors really come through, too, and they have events where uh, you're wined and dined. Well, not wined because we're in education, but they feed you some good food. Uh, a lot of times barbecue, for example, in, in Texas, and um, they offer great door prizes, and they have bands to play, so there's always something going on for you to do. We also, this year, um, when we open our exhibit hall on Tuesday, we have a social that will be going on there, so there'll be uh, snacks and ways for you to network and door prizes that I think are really going to get our, our attendees fired up. 
That is so neat. Well, I know that anybody who's listening really needs to take a look at this event. If this is not something that you or your team or members of your school are attending, you really ought to take a look at it. It's, it's an exceptional, exceptional event. Lori, we are now to the point in this podcast called the lightning round. So this is just a couple of fun questions we like to ask our guests. And it starts off with favorite book you have read this year. I have to confess, I am a huge Harry Potter fan, and okay. so I have been rereading the entire series of books recently. But Amazing. On a more serious note, and you know, quite frankly, you can find a lot in Harry Potter to apply to education today, but that's a whole other conversation. I've also been reading How Google Works, uh, which is a really great book about the principles that Google put into place to create their culture of innovation, and I think we're going to be doing some training on that about how you can apply that in your campus or even in your classroom. I think they've got some really great pieces. So those that's the two book ser- series that okay. I've been reading. How Google works. What piece of technology could you not live without? I am actually addicted to my iPhone. Uh, people will tell you that I, I go everywhere with it. If I live by my iPhone, I would be lost without it. I will also say that I am becoming more and more addicted to my Amazon Echo. I mm. confess that I own three of those now um, because, <laughs> um, I, because it can do so much for me. It goes back to that artificial intelligence where I can just say, do this, buy this, put this on my calendar, what's coming up, contact so-and-so. I mean, and it, it's like having that personal assistant with me all the time. So those are my two, I've cheated there, pieces of technology I can't live without. Okay. And then do you have a favorite podcast or a favorite website you go to for additional information or news on the ed tech space? I do. I love the ed tech chat that they do uh, yeah. on Twitter, but I have to be honest, a lot of times I don't have time to sit through the tweet, tweets and read them. So they do a weekly ed tech chat radio show where mm-hmm. they sum everything up for me about what was covered in the chat, talks about the highlights, uh, what it might mean. Uh, they have a panel that talks about it with education tech integrators, with classroom teachers, and with administrators. Um, the one that they did just a couple of days ago, for example, was about looking beyond the tools and the spaces of maker spaces, and it was just fascinating. So I think the EdTech Chat Radio is, is one of my favorite podcasts. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, folks, there is a lot of content in this podcast. Would love for you to go back, re-listen to it a second time if you need to. You need to take a look at TCEA, their conference. Uh, What is that website, Lori? It is convention.tcea.org. Fantastic. If you want to take a look at it, you can go there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Lori, thank you.